You're listening to Brave Not Perfect with Rashma Sajani, presented by Anchor and Girls Who Code. Hey, it's Rashma. Welcome to the Brave Not Perfect podcast, where I talk with changemakers from all over the world in different walks of life. No matter where they come from or what they do, all of my guests have one thing in common. At some point in their lives, they decided to jump in and try to make things better now. Instead of waiting till they had all the skills and all the knowledge, they decided that it was better to be brave, not perfect. By the way, sometimes you have to be brave, not perfect, even when you're recording a podcast called Brave Not Perfect. For some reason, my entire side of this interview you're about to hear wouldn't record because you know how technology can sometimes go. We could have scrapped the interview or rescheduled because it wasn't perfect, but instead, my producer Emily just recorded my part of the conversation on her phone. And thanks to her, we are about to have an amazing conversation with Monica Ramirez. She's the co-founder and president of Alianza Nacional de Campesinas, an organization dedicated to improving the lives of women who do backbreaking farm labor so that we can have food on our plates. It's the first and only national organization dedicated to farm worker women, run by current and former farm worker women and their families. Monica has been fighting for Latinas, farm workers, and immigrant women since she was 14 years old. She is a tireless leader who's having a real impact on the conversation about sexual violence and sexual assault. And you know what? People are starting to notice. Monica and her organization wrote an open letter that was published in Time Magazine's Silence Breakers issue. And as a result, actress Laura Dern invited Monica to this year's Golden Globes. I began by asking Monica what inspired her work. You know, I grew up in an agricultural community. Both my mom's side of the family and my father's side of the family um, worked in agriculture for many, many years. I'm actually the first generation in my family not to migrate Um, you know, to work in agriculture. So my mom and my dad both worked in agriculture when they were little kids. So when we, my family settled in Fremont, Ohio, which is where I grew up, it was really important to my parents that we never forget where we came from and that we always knew about some of the hardships that farm workers continue to face. So I was really raised with an eye towards understanding the experiences of farm workers. So that was definitely one reason that I lean towards doing the advocacy and work that I do. But the other um, was because, unfortunately, in my life, there have been a number of people who are very close to me who are who have suffered from sexual violence and other forms of violence. And so um, when I had the chance to go to law school, when I was getting ready to graduate from law school, there was this opportunity to create my dream job. And for me, my dream job was creating a project that related to uh, serving migrant farm workers and specifically addressing the, the issue of workplace sexual violence. Is there a specific like story or moment uh, maybe that your parents shared with you that like instilled that sense of like, this is what I want to spend my life fighting for. One of the moments that solidified it for me was when I was 19. Um, I was already, you know, really committed to becoming a farm worker advocate. And at that time was thinking about going to law school. I made the decision that in order for me to really be the best advocate that I could be, um, I needed to know more than just the stories. I needed to actually work in the field so that I could know what it felt like to work under those conditions. It was extraordinarily difficult and I, and I was not very good at it at all, but 
you know, that really made me understand not just how hard the work is, but also that for women, um, the discrimination and the injustice against them is more acute. Um, and I realized that because the young woman that I was working with um, talked to me about how even though they were working in the fields the same hours, the same days, the same amount of time as their uh, brothers and as their, uh, as their father, they actually didn't receive their own paycheck. Their paycheck was given to their father. And that really made me start thinking more about why the experience of farm worker women is different than men and kind of put me on the path of um, really thinking a lot more about some of the gender um, discrimination that occurs in the fields against farm worker women. So you've been doing this work for almost two decades now. Like, what progress have you seen? Like, are we moving backwards? Or are we moving forwards? I think that a lot of the issues that, you know, existed when my parents were working in the field still remain, you know, poor pay, exposure to pesticides, um, certainly discrimination in different forms. Those are still problems. But I think that we're making progress and that some of the problems we've seen, we've had real wins. You know, we've we've been able to bring lawsuits on behalf of workers who've experienced some of these problems. And we've been able to win justice for them. Um, but I think that um, another way that we're seeing progress is because there was a time when people and the farm worker community and advocates didn't even talk about sexual harassment against farm worker women, even though it was such a major problem. And now we're in a situation today where not only people are talking about it, but there are organizations that are setting up their own projects to address it. It's in the, um, you know, public discourse. I mean, Oprah talked about farm worker women and sexual violence you know, during the Golden Globes. So we're just at a very different moment in time when these issues that were so taboo and were not even being discussed among our own community are now being discussed publicly by political leaders and others. And I think that's a real sign of progress. And what role do you think the Me Too movement has had on that in terms of gender and women? Oh, I think that um, Tarana Burke's work to inspire all of us and empower women and men around the country and around the world to speak out about the harm against them definitely um, helped create this moment. Because if people hadn't started talking about what they were experiencing, we wouldn't be at a place now to be having conversation about the solutions to addressing it. And now we're saying, okay, what do we do about it? How do we fix the law? How do we fill in the gaps? How do we give survivors and victims the resources that they need in order to be able to heal and to move on with their lives. And, um, you know, I think those are all things that still have to be determined and certainly have to be determined based on the expertise and feedback of survivors themselves. Survivors need to be in the lead to express what they uh, know needs to change about the broken systems that exist. And so thankfully, because of Tarana and her vision, we're in a place where we can finally have an open conversation about these things. Yeah, it's so, you know, Monica, it's so interesting. I feel like every woman in my life, whether they work in press, whether they're a lawyer, whether they're a teacher, they're somehow involved you know what I mean? And either sharing their own stories as survivors or like supporting other women who need support, whether it's legal support, whether it's PR support, right, and in, in, in taking their story forward. So it's unlike kind of anything I feel like I've seen in my lifetime of how many people and how many places, how many races, ethnicities, genders that, that are, 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 are being touched by this. Exactly. You know, and one of the things that I heard someone say that I thought was 
so poignant. It was, um, they were talking about how for a long time, um, when people talked about issues like sexual violence or domestic violence, they usually talked about it as it related to poor women, right? And they sort of cast it in a way that made women who were either working in low paid jobs or who were not, did not have as many resources as if that was like a problem that only afflicted um, them. And someone said, for once, we can actually see that this isn't just about uh, women who have you know less opportunities or fewer resources that are experiencing this problem. This really does affect people of all backgrounds and all income brackets. And I think for me, that was really an important statement because I think that um, the way we talk about victim services and the way that we talk about the provision of care for people who are experiencing these problems, it is not always in the most empowering manner. And so for someone to make that statement about how, you know, the conversation has shifted a bit because of who's been speaking out and because of how the megaphone was kind of handed to, to people who were more resourced, I thought that that really kind of provided an interesting opportunity to think about how we do talk about these issues and who and how we talk about who's most impacted and how we have even, I think, maybe created boxes and even stereotypes related to who who is harmed by these issues and who is not. And we now know that is not true. Well, I also think it's like it's so it's been an interesting to watch the obligation that p- women who have power have to like lift other other voices up, right? So it's like women in right. Hollywood actually had power through their celebrity, right, to call attention uh, to other women, uh, and I think that that has been such a powerful example of sisterhood. I don't know. I mean, how did you feel being at the Golden Globes with Laura Dern? Like, what was that moment like for you? You know, I I never thought I would attend the Golden Globes in my entire life. (laughs) Um, So it was a very surreal experience. You know, certainly I had a lot of nerves about um, being there and being on the red carpet, mainly because I didn't want to get it wrong. You know, like having the chance to be in the spotlight in that way where we had the opportunity to lift up not just the problem, sexual violence, but also the voices of our community. And that was a major opportunity for us. And so I really felt a lot of pressure not to you know, mess up that moment. But Laura Dern and all the women in the entertainment industry who decided to bring activists with them, they were all extremely supportive and gracious. And, you know, people... Um, not, I don't think everyone realized that, that that was a planned action. So we had spent time before that evening kind of going over what we wanted our message to be, and we created it jointly. So it wasn't as if the women in the entertainment industry just said, come with us, and you know, we walked down the red carpet with them. There actually was a lot of thought and care that went into preparing for that evening. And, and I really appreciated the opportunity to work closely together to, to make sure that what we were saying was reflective both of our reality as well as sort of our wishes for what, what was going to come next. I was moved as watching 60 Minutes um, and the amazing activists from Parkland were on and they were so wonderfully kind of articulating, look, you know, there are people who've approached us that want us to help us and support us, but we do it on our own terms. Like we won't be used for anyone else's agenda. And, you know, I thought about that a lot kind of in terms of the Me Too movement, making sure, right, that like, like no one's own you know, agenda is going to basically usurp, you know, the activist agenda. Um, and, it, and it feels as though there's been a lot of collaboration and genuine authenticity in it, which has been powerful to see. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think that um, 
Farmworker women have been left out historically, right? Farmworker women have been invisible over time. And our goal is to ensure that that doesn't happen to anyone else. You know, our goal is to make a bigger table and to bring more people along with us. And so that is just the way that we've always done our work. Um, But I also have to say that a lot of the women who are in in the entertainment industry, they, in their own right, they're activists, you know, and they're, and they We've been working on other issues for a long time, including gender equity. And, and we have a lot to learn from them as well, based on the work that they've done. So it's it's really a partnership. Yeah, I well, look, I mean, from from our perspective, watching it unfold, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible um, to, to see how women are continuing to lift each other up. And, and there's so many voices. And I think we're making the people are making a real difference. I mean, and that's kind of my question to you. Like, so every woman I know has had something happen to her. Right, yeah. whether she's been harassed, she's been sexually abused or violated, everybody has a story, and I think right. that there's not a moment. I know every single one of us. Even when you, I live in New York, New York City. I walk down the street, it's dark out. I'm thinking about my safety, and mm-hmm. what changes. I think that what we're all trying to do is try, we're trying to get to a place where none of us have to feel that fear walking down the street or going to work. You know, I think we're all working towards a a day when we don't have to worry about our children inheriting this history of abuse. But the true change is going to be the culture shift um, that is required in which we say, as you know, as a, a global community, that it's not okay to marginalize people. It's not okay to objectify people. It's not okay to treat people as less because of their gender or for any other reason. And I think we're starting to move in that direction. But it's got to be a constant drumbeat and it has to be everyone. It can't just be women speaking out about this as being an issue. It's got to be men too. And, and it has to be more than just words. We have to have actions, right? We have to have um, not just laws in the books, but laws that are enforced. We have to have not just um, penalties for breaking the law, but we have to have prevention. And so my hope is that two months from now or six months from now, we're still having the conversation, but we're going to be able to relate back about what gains were made over the course of the months that have passed. Yeah, we can't let it die. And we have to make sure that there's not a, a backlash from men. Um, so we have to remain vigilant. So you've been doing this work since you were 14, right? You're, you've been called the advocate behind the country's largest Latina equal pay movement. I'm sure you have, like me, have been so heartened to see these young kids uh, fighting, you know, against injustice and these elected officials around whether it's gun control, you know, LGBTQ rights. Like, what advice do you have from them? Like, what what do you wish somebody told you when you were 14 and, you know, getting your footing as an activist? Yeah, you know, so when I was 14, I started writing for my area newspaper about farm worker issues. That's why, you know, I always say that I started when I was 14 because I didn't even realize I, I was an activist, but I was, you know. So my advice to the young activists who are leading so many important causes right now is to, to seek out mentors who will give you good advice, um, who can be a sounding board for you, who can um, answer questions, um, and tell you things that they wish that they had done differently, you know, lessons that they've learned, because that for me has been really important over time. And, uh, and it continues to be, I still have great mentors that I call on. I've always said that people talk about young people as our future, and they don't talk about them as our present. And the reality is that those young students who are leading on, you know, the DREAM Act, and they're leading on you know, immigration reform, and they're leading on gun control, all these important issues, they are our present. 
and they will inherit whatever we leave behind. And so we need to be, we as, you know, adults or more seasoned activists, we need to be committed to mentoring them too. So, you know, as the students seek out mentors, there need to be people who are willing to step in to play that role as well. And I mean, I love my first march when I was 12. And so, you know, I, I'm always conscious that like, you can't be brave when you're tired. And, it's, and this work yeah. is hard, right? Emotionally, physically. So what are your self-care tips? Or do you, are, are, are you, are you doing self-care, you know? It's a work in progress, you know? I think that um, there are some times when I'm really good at self-care and there are some times when I sort of slip. Um, so I'm trying to eat better. I'm trying to sleep more, but also I started running, which is a major thing. I kind of, I started running about, I don't know, six years ago. And then I, and then I stopped and now I've started again. Um, cause I just need, I need, um, outlets for all the things I need that I carry. Right. And so, uh, but the other thing is really just making time for myself and my family. I, I actually, you know, I speak a lot publicly about the work that I'm doing. And so I cherish um, quiet time at home with my family um, because that's just, it's just really important. I have, a, I have a little one. So it's really important to me to have time at home with my family and to just, you know, be, be quiet and be inside and, um, you know, do sort of family things like crafts and board games and those sorts of things. And I mean, that might seem silly, you know. I'm doing a shark puzzle with my son tonight. At, you know, he's three and we have like a date and it's true. And he'll, you know, the yeah. kids will hold you accountable, right? He's like, mommy, put your phone down. And he's yeah. not, not having it. So yeah, exactly. Last week we were all we did a puppet show. You know, we were all about making a puppet show for um, St. Patrick's Day. So it's the it's those moments. That's my self care. I love it, and um, I need to make more time. You know, build in more time. But that those are certainly the things that sustain me. So um, you know, I'm writing my book on uh, Brave Not Perfect is coming out in February, and I think a lot about you know, you're a brave change maker and so much about being a brave change maker, I think is about unlearning perfection. And, and so do you have like a moment where that happened for you? Whew. Um, I battle my perfectionism all the time, actually. Um, you know, I, I, I think that when you're trying to defend people's lives, you, you have, there's, there's a certain amount of perfectionism that's required, right? But I also think that there's a reality that we only have so much time sometimes to to move things. We only have there's like a certain window of time that we have to get certain things done. And so um, understanding that every time we step forward or step out, we're doing the very best we can. I've, I've tried to um, accept that for myself, that maybe it's not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you so much, Monica. I have so much gratitude for Monica and the women she works with and the work that they do. She has been at it for such a long time and she's never given up. And even in this moment where her cause and herself have been brought to light, she's still thinking about others, the farm worker women in her household and her community. Let's keep supporting her and let's keep lifting Monica up. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Got a question for me? Send us a note at bravenotperfectpodcast at gmail.com or call in directly via the Anchor app on your phone. I want to hear from you. Send me your questions. Until next time, this has been an episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast